You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I'm trying to actually sneak this one in a little bit early. It's 10 o'clock in the morning on Thursday, which means any massive news and notes that happened on Thursday, not going to be in this podcast. But uh, I'll try to do my best to do any kind of breaking news pods so that those things happen. Obviously, if they happened, you don't need this to be explained to you. I'm mostly doing it because I'm assuming I'll probably not do that, and you'll need to know why, and here you go. But the goal for today is to finally start to turn our attention to the Seattle Seahawks, who are, are the, who are our, the, they're the upcoming opponent, is what uh, we're driving at here. But with that said, why don't we start with the um, injury report, which is about to be updated later today. So I apologize that you're getting day-old injury report, but we didn't talk about it yet. Again, David Bakhtiari should be on the next one, I believe, which isn't really going to matter because we won't really know his status. Uh, doubt he's going to practice, whatever. But it's a, it's a relatively small injury report. Eric Stokes, uh, knee injury, limited participation, equinemius, ankle, limited. Uh, Dean Lowry, hamstring, full participation. That's kind of a big one. I talked about in the last game how Kingsley was out I think it was Lowry was questionable and so if he didn't play we would be kind of in a tough spot well Kenny ended up getting hurt and Dean ended up getting hurt and it was like we so we're real real dire situation at defensive tackle just in terms of of actual human bodies not to mention it's pretty much all our top guys but uh Dean is full participation Kingsley is limited with a concussion Kenny Clark limited with his back injury I assume we're going to get all of these guys back, but I guess I don't really know. We can maybe count on one of them not playing. Uh, that just leaves us, unfortunately, with Dominique Daphne being the only one that did not participate in any um, type of practice with his hamstring injury, considering our tight ends are also getting kind of banged up like everybody else, every other position, basically. And I, I will not name anybody not on injury report or any other positions like I did last week, which caused an injury on the field, and I, I do feel bad about that. So I will avoid talking about anybody that is not on the injury report uh, in terms of their uh, how much it would suck if they got hurt kind of thing. As for the Seattle Seahawks, lots of did not participate, did not practice, whatever. However, mostly veteran rest. Dwayne Brown, Gabe Jackson, Carlos Dunlap. You got to remember, this is a this is still like <laughs> I'm not going to say it's still Legion of Boom, but it's another team that is like the Vikings and like the Bears now that is really just not doing a great great job bringing in new talent. And so they have to either bring in other people's talent, you know, like in the case of uh, Dwayne Brown, because they had no ability whatsoever to draft offensive line talent. 
they've got to be one of the worst teams in football at attempting to fix the offensive line. So they just went out and paid for one uh, from Houston. They brought in uh, Dwayne Brown, but Dwayne Brown is 36 years old. So, you know, got to do what you got to do, I guess. And Bears technically are doing the exact same thing, bringing in Jason Peters, because they had a couple good players. One of them left, and they're like, all right, just go get that 39-year-old uh, guy that still has a little bit left in the tank somehow. Technically, that's the case with Gabe Jackson, too. He's 30 years old. They just brought him in this year from the Raiders, I believe. And, uh, well, Carlos Dunlap, too. He's thirty, almost 33 years old, longtime uh, Cincinnati Bengal. They brought him in because, again, this is just this is what you have to do. And you can kind of get away with it a little bit because eventually your team becomes so bad that you don't actually have a lot of money tied up in your own players because, you know, what's the point? The problem is, number one, you are overplaying the few good players that you have because you can't afford to let them leave or you're not going to win any football games. So the inefficiency becomes the problem. And then on top of that, you're bringing in free agents who technically, usually by definition, you're overpaying them. It's not the most cost-effective strategy. The draft is how you build an actual quality team. No garbage team is going to go out, pick up like five or six free agents, and then win a Super Bowl. Well, maybe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can do that because one of the guys they picked up was Tom Brady. Generally speaking, though, that's not how that works. Anyways, let's continue on with the injury report. Um, Other guys that did not participate in practice, Marquise Blair, safety, although PFF calls him a corner, so I don't know. He's played about 100 snaps, not that massive of a contributor. It's basically like a uh, slot, strong safety hybrid type of player. Uh, Cody Barton, linebacker. One of the few young, promising people, except I'm lying about him being promising, but he is young. 2019 third-round pick. He's only played 47 snaps this year with a 36 overall grade, um, so that's not great. <laughs> then you got Blasson Austin, who's didn't practice, but that was not injury-related. Um, other guys that are injured and either practiced fully or limitedly, Alex Collins, the running back, Jamarco Jones, the tackle, DK Metcalf, wide receiver, Brandon Shell, tackle, DJ Reed, corner, Sidney Jones, corner back. So let's just, now that we got that done, let's just look at, well, let's look at their roster. Obviously, it starts with Dangerous, Dangerous Wilson. I'm not going to lie, I thought that was a lot stupider until I said it out loud. I mean, it's still kind of dumb, but like it, it kind of makes more sense now. Dangerous, Dangerous. It, it just looks stupid when you write it out, Dange, Russ, but it doesn't sound as dumb, I guess. I don't know. It's stupid either way. The I don't know if it's 100% yet, but it sounds very much like Russell Wilson will be playing in this game. Um, if you didn't know, he had some kind of an injury to his right middle finger, required surgery on it, um, and he's practicing for the first time. I don't, you know, you say this about every single injury. I don't know if this is going to impact him. Like, is this he's 100% back, or is this, his finger still sucks, but we definitely need him if we're going to win football games, so we're going to kind of rush him back. Because really, I mean, e- even if it's if it's not even pain, but it's like numbness or whatever, you know, those things have an impact. Just something I feel the need to throw out there. But with that said, Russell Wilson is as good of a quarterback as he's kind of always been. Um, I feel like it's hard to say, but I, I can't help but feel like Russell Wilson is a massively underrated quarterback. And I don't there's There's so many variables here. Part of it is the fact that he's a big goof, right? Part of it is the fact that the teams have been kind of a joke for a while. 
And I think it's hard for the media, the fans, the whatever, to kind of rally around a guy and talk about how great somebody is when your team is terrible and you're a big goofball. But since about 2018, which is kind of funny because when the team was at its best was not when Russell was at his best. It seems like as things have fallen apart, he's really risen to the occasion and taken this to the next level. So, for example, he started in 2012 and was elite, and I mentioned that, right? But he started to go down from there, 90.6, 83, 74, 82, 83, 78. So 70s, 80s from 2013 through 2017. Then in 2018, 88.9, so basically in 89, I mean, elite. 2019, 91.9, which was his highest ever at that point. 90.5 in 2020, so far 90.3. So it's been about four straight years of elite quarterback play from Russell Wilson. I don't know how many quarterbacks can say all this. He's basically been Pat Mahomes in that same time period, right? Pat Mahomes started in 2018 and has been dominant ever since. Pat was better in 2018. Russell Wilson was better in 2019. Pat Mahomes was a little bit better in 2020. So far this year, Russell Wilson is a lot better than Patrick Mahomes. And really, 2018, 19, and 2020 are the only years where it's kind of iffy. You know, Pat was a little bit better in 2018. Russ was a little bit better in 2019. Pat was a little bit better in 2020. So far this year, Russell Wilson is still a dominant, elite Patrick Mahomes-level player. Pat Mahomes is playing like garbage. And the thing is, you know, we talk about how guys like Mahomes or whatever get all this credit and some people on the Packers don't get any. Russell Wilson is in that camp also. Again, he's been about as good as, as Pat Mahomes has been over the last four years. Nobody cares. Nobody's talking about it. He doesn't have Tyreek Hill. He doesn't have Travis Kelsey. He doesn't have nearly as good of an offensive line. And to be completely honest, I don't know that the, the Chiefs' defense hasn't been better mostly uh, most of the last four years than Seattle's defense has been. So I think Russell deserves more credit than Pat Mahomes. Aside from, And, and again, I know Pat is the new flashy item, and he does crazy things, some of his throws off his back foot, which Russ can do that too, but it's a little bit more, little more crazy. You know, the no-look passes, ooh, wow. Now that those, those no-look passes are starting to get picked off, maybe he's going to stop doing that, but, you know, it's just kind of the new flashy thing. But it's a little messed up how much Russell does not get any credit, and I, I've been banging this drum a little bit for a while now because I've been saying how bad, incredibly bad. In fact, I've been comparing the Chiefs and the Seahawks for a while now. Because the Seahawks have no business being even a 500-level uh, team. They just don't. And Russell Wilson is just dragging this team because of how good he is. And I think Pat was doing the same kind of thing. And you see Pat go from being an elite quarterback to a decent quarterback, you know, mediocre quarterback, and look at the team. But w- with all that said, like everybody, it's not as though... Russell Wilson has an elite grade because he's elite every single game. That's not really the case. Um, His grade so far this year, 79, 74, 69, 82, 94. So he was kind of picking up steam. He was never bad. 69.2 is his worst game that was against Minnesota. That's good, right? Um, He started to pick up steam week four against San Francisco, and then finally against LA is when he really exploded into being quite great, and then, you know, his hand blew up or whatever. At least that's what he made it seem like in his little video that he made. But I think as far as quarterbacks go, you need to be as afraid of Russell Wilson as any other quarterback. Now, with that said, like I've talked about with Aaron Rodgers when I went on my diatribe about, you know, trusting Aaron Rodgers and putting it in his hand, that's fine, but it doesn't take into account all the other pieces. Russell Wilson is as good as they come. 
but you take Russell Wilson's skills, subtract the offensive line talent, subtract the run game, which used to be somewhat of a staple for this team, but is now ranked 12th, excuse me, 19th. I'm looking in the wrong area. They're ranked 19th in running the ball. They're a below average running team, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Russell's a good quarterback. You know, he's a good quarterback. He's probably going to play. He might have somewhat of an injury, but he'll probably be all right. The offensive line from left to right, um, at left tackle, as we've already talked about, we have the 36-year-old Dwayne Brown. Dwayne reminds me a lot of Brian Balaga. Toward the end, Brian Balaga, there was a period of time, I guess I should say, where he just fluctuated from one of the best to decent. His grades since 2015, 79, 86, 74, 83, 74, 88, so far 70.3. This is one of his down years, and he's following suit. If we look at it in terms of rank, he went from 8th to 25th, 6th to 22nd, to 5th to 34th, which is where he's at right now. Don't know why those things happen, but they happen, and this has not been the greatest year for Dwayne Brown at left tackle. If we look at it on a week-by-week basis, he had a good week against Tennessee, decent week against Jacksonville. Otherwise, he's been 50s, 60s pretty much every week given up 17 pressures, six of which are sacks. If we look at our left tackles, and I say tackles because I'm going to combine Elton Jenkins and Yash Nijman, um, we're looking at 15 pressures compared to Dwayne Brown's 17. So that's Elton Jenkins and Yash combined. In terms of sacks, he's given up six. These two have given up four. If you just compare it to Elton Jenkins, which again isn't super fair, 10 pressures, two sacks is what he's given up. To the right, of their left tackle is known as their left tackle. Seems counterintuitive, right? Because he's on the right side of somebody, so he should be a right guard. But in fact, in the game of football, that would be called a left guard. Damian Lewis was a third-round pick, number 69 overall, control yourself, out of LSU, had a decent 2020, was ranked as the 13th uh, overall guard in football. Right now, he's ranked 62nd out of 76 with a 45 pass blocking grade and a 58 run blocking grade. Fact of the matter is, though, when you kind of zoom in on it, he's never really been that good. The only reason he had a 70 overall grade is because he had a couple, like, 90s mixed in. Um, Obviously, whatever it was that made him a super flashy prospect out of LSU tends to pop up once in a while. And so you'd have, like, a 70 overall grade once every four or five games, and then he's got this 92 against Buffalo smack dab in the middle. Um, So, you know, It is also worth noting he switched from right guard to left guard, and maybe that's just having somewhat of a negative impact. But he has not had a good game all year. His best games come against L.A., 66 overall grade, 63 run blocks, 66 pass blocking. His pass blocking in particular has been horrific, but overall grades, 57, 55, 54, 61, 66, 29, and 62. Pass blocking grades, they'd have an 82 in week two, but otherwise 32, 33, 66, 66, 15, and 38. He's allowed 10 pressures, only one sack, but 10 pressures, uh, which would be a sack, four hits, and five hurries. By the way, as I'm looking at this, I'm realizing how absolutely horrible Royce Newman is. I mean, I I know he's been bad, but this is is crazy. Um, As far as his pass-blocking efficiency, which looks at how many snaps, how many pressures, and and then weights it based on sacks and everything else, uh, Royce and Jamarco Jones are are the only ones below Damian Lewis. But Royce Newman, forget the grades and everything else, 18 pressures, 18 pressures so far. Now, he's, he's played more pass-blocking snaps than any of the five other guards for the Green Bay Packers or Seattle Seahawks, but 18. The second highest is John Runyon at 13. The second highest amount of sacks is John Runyon, who gave up two, 
Royce Newman has given up five. Five. There's only one other football player, at one other guard in the NFL that's given up five, and that's Jalen Mayfield, which maybe dodged a bullet there. I'd rather have our fourth-round pick um, be this bad as opposed to Jalen Mayfield, who uh, was considered at one point, potentially, first-round pick. Anyways, on the interior at center, you have Ethan Posick. Ethan Posick was a second-round pick in 2017. Again, they just keep taking swings. They also seem to really like LSU offensive linemen, which seems to be a poor strategy um, based on their track record. But uh, he played week one for a little while, apparently got hurt, hasn't been back. He came back week eight, played horribly. Um, He currently has a 52 overall grade, which is pretty par for the course for him. Um, He's never really been very good at football. We hopefully will be getting Kenny Clark back in this game because he's going to spank Ethan Posick. He's literally going from one of the best centers in football to one of the worst, so that'll be interesting to watch. On the right side, Gabe Jackson. Um, Gabe Jackson, as I mentioned, 30 years old. He's at an age where apparently they feel he needs veteran rest already. Um, Gabe was a decent offensive lineman from 2014 to 2018, and then after that, everything kind of just went downhill. To be fair, it's mostly his run blocking that completely fell off. His pass blocking has stayed right around the 75-ish for the most part, which is fine, decent. He has plenty of bad days. He's pretty inconsistent. But um, again, I'll kind of take it because if you can't run the ball and all you can do is throw and, I mean, who's going to be going up against Gabe Jackson? That's a huge threat, Dean Lowry. Okay, you're like the fifth best offensive guard Dean Lowry has had to face. I'm worried. But finally, they have Brandon Shell, who is uh, nearly 30 years old, playing at right tackle. Uh, Brandon Shell is average. Uh, Based on this offensive line, he's pretty good. If he were on a good offensive line, he would be quite bad. On an average offensive line, he would be pretty average. How's that for insights? But uh, right now, ranked 46th, so he is in the top 64 of tackles, so he is a starter. He's in that right tackle range because you figured top 32 guy you want on your left side. But uh, yeah, Brandon's given up 11 pressures so far, two sacks, two hits, seven hurries. He's given up a pressure in every game except week one against Indianapolis. If I had to pick a strength, it would be his run blocking, but that's kind of a new revelation. He's playing a little bit better as a run blocker than he ever has, and he's also having his worst pass blocking season ever. So I'm fine with that, and I hope that that stays the course, but I, I guess I don't really know for sure why that's happening. Bottom line is, though, on a week-to-week basis, you're usually going to get an average to subpar performance in both run blocking and pass blocking. That's generally what you get from Brandon Shell. If we look at their tight ends, um, none of them are very good at football. Will Disley is their primary tight end. Um, He's played 309 snaps. The only other one that's played a decent amount is Gerald Everett. You get little bits from Colby Parkinson, 89 snaps. Mm-hmm. Tyler Mabry, 18. Um, and it looks like that's about it. But uh, Will Disley, primarily going to be the blocking type, right? If we look between Gerald Everett and Will Disley, uh, Will Disley's between receiving and run blocking snaps, 126 receiving, 149 run blocking. So he blocks more than he is a receiver. If you look at Gerald Everett, 137 of his snaps have come as a receiver, 80 as a run blocker. So as a proportion... You get a little bit closer to 50-50, but a little heavier blocking with Will Disley. Everett is, you know, three quarters, two thirds uh, receiving. Ultimately, though, it doesn't really matter. Will Disley is a better blocker than a receiver, 
with a 68 overall run blocking grade. Um, as a receiver, 55 overall grade. Gerald Everett is a better receiver than a blocker with a 44 run blocking grade and a 62 receiving grade. So in other words, each of them is average at one thing and bad at the other. And they try to highlight their average skills and hide their bad skills. It's kind of what you're dealing with there. Looking at running back, it's kind of a split backfield between Chris Carson and Alex Collins. Collins has been getting the majority of the reps, but not by a ton, 176 to 124. Um, they are fairly similar. There's only really one main difference here. If you look at their run grades, Collins 71, Carson 75, so Carson's slightly better. If you look at receiving, Collins 60, Carson 58, so Collins is slightly better. The biggest difference, though, is the pass blocking. Chris Carson is a 35 overall pass blocking grade. Alex Collins, 67. So what I think I'm seeing pretty starkly here is that Alex Collins is a better third down back. I'm not saying they use him in that capacity, but if you want somebody that's a receiver slash pass blocker, it's going to be Alex Collins. If you want a guy to just run the ball, it's Chris Carson. That's kind of how that's broken down. They're both good. Neither of them are great. They get the job done. But again, it's decent running backs behind a pretty bad offensive line. And then at wide receiver, we know the majority of the conversation is settled around, uh, set, uh, what am I saying? Is around DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. They're both good wide receivers. There's no question. DK Metcalf currently ranked fifth of all wide receivers with an 84.5 overall grade, 87 receiving grade. Tyler Lockett, um, probably not his best year ever if I were to look at it. Nope, it's not. Um, but he's still very good. Um, in fact, it's his best year in three years, 77 overall grade, currently ranked 19th. So they have two top 20 wide receivers on the team in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So this is, this is the power of the team, right? Again, very similar to what you see with teams like the Chiefs. You have an elite quarterback and some real scary wide receivers, and you're hoping that it's such a dominant group that it really just doesn't matter that uh, the run game is subpar, the offensive line is terrible, and the defense can't really do a ton. That's the hope anyways. And to be fair, the defense hasn't actually been that bad. Not really talking about it today, but it, it's, kind of, it's kind of been the offense in the absence of Russell Wilson that has let this team down. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break right there. I have, uh, I'm actually recording my third podcast of the day today, so I'm, my brain's getting a little bit foggy. It's 1130. I've been recording since probably, I don't know, 730? four hours or so. So I'll probably step away, take a little coffee break, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the show, support what I'm doing here, that's the best way to do that. Um, if you don't want to do that, there's other ways around it. You got all the fancy tiers, head over to Patreon and uh, it's all spelled out for you. Any questions, let me know. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. 
Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I think I forgot the thank yous. I'm pretty sure I got one here. Maybe did this already. Edward Stevens, thank you for uh, bumping up your pledge. Hope you enjoy the podcast. The one I released yesterday um, was about Christmas music and being somewhat of a Christmas snob. And so kind of talk about what Christmas music should be and what it absolutely should never, ever, ever, ever be. Ariana Grande, for example. Anyways, I know it feels like, <laughs> it's funny. Some people are like, man, finally, finally those, those ads are done. That was like a minute and a half-ish, maybe. I don't know how many ads are playing, but usually you have to listen for about a minute, assuming you're not skipping, because obviously you would never do that to one of my lovely advertisers. But for me, it's like 15 seconds. In this instance, however... And I forget what time I said I started uh, recording. It is now 12.01 a.m., as in it is a mid, uh, minute past midnight. See, what happened when I said I think I'm going to go take a break, you know, kind of kind of chill out because I've been recording a lot, turns out the kid needed to use the computer for school. All right, that's cool. Then we realized that um, we didn't really get to fully celebrate our anniversary because we went to a funeral on our anniversary. We were planning on going to a fancy restaurant I've mentioned, Benihana. Um, We didn't end up doing that, but uh, we were told the next day after the funeral we would go to Olive Garden, so we said, well, we'll just do that. Well, the next day we didn't go to Olive Garden. Uh, They changed the plans. They're like, we're not going to go to Olive Garden. We'll just go to um, somebody's house, and we'll eat some food there. Okay. So we're like, you know what? On Thursday, we'll just go to Olive Garden. Janesville is about a half hour away. We'll hit up the Olive Garden, whatever. So we did that, right? Hey, happy anniversary. It was kind of nice. We, they even gave us the big room on the end. Didn't have to reserve it or anything. They were just like, hey, it's a big family. That table happens to be open, and let's keep those loud kids away from all the nice customers we have. I'm assuming that was their thought process. Anyways, after dinner, I'm trying to leave because it's late, and I'm like, I got to do the podcast. It's like already 7, 710, right? So I'm thinking it's going to be like 740. I'm going to be losing sleep. I got to go to work. My wife will not get up from the table, and I'm, I'm getting a little <laughs> perturbed. Come on, let's go. I know you want to sip your water, but let's go. So we get in the car, and she tells me she's having a bit of an, a reaction to the eggplant. Oh, that's, that's weird. Like, yeah, having an allergy, kind of having problems breathing. 
I've kind of had stuff like that before. Like, well, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And I'm about to kick it into reverse, and she says, no, I'm serious. Like, I think we need to go to the hospital. I can't breathe. So anyways, uh, long story shorter, I uh, sat with the kids in the car of the emergency room parking lot for about two hours while she went inside, hooked up to IVs and whatnot. And then we uh, spent about an hour getting prescriptions from Walgreens, and um, then we came home, and now I'm recording the podcast because I care about you people. Seriously, I was thinking I should just go to bed, and then when I wake up, I'll record it. And I was like, no, because then it's going to be 9 o'clock, and it's going to get posted at, you know, 9.30, and uh, not doing that. So why don't we continue on? We'll look at the Seattle Seahawks defense, and then I will go to bed. By the way, there was uh, some breaking news. Odell Beckham to the Rams. Um, I would elaborate. There's plenty to elaborate on, but uh, we'll have to save that for tomorrow. Now, again, I, I didn't want—I don't want to get into this too much. Again, it'll be probably for more of a tomorrow thing. Um, but they, their defense is ranked quite high in terms of points. I have some speculation as to why that is. Um, it's especially interesting that the defense seems to be doing the best when Russell Wilson's out. The only thing I'll really say to that is when you're not chasing Russell Wilson scores, you're probably not scoring as many points, you know, because you don't have to. They won those games, so you don't you don't really have to run up the score. But anyways, um, starting as we usually do at the defensive tackle position, their uh, top defensive tackle is Puna Ford in terms of snaps and possibly by way of talent. Um, Puna Ford is a big dude, 16th ranked. Uh, defensive tackle overall in the NFL. Uh, largely, and I mean largely, he's not that big. I'm just being mean. Largely just a run defender, though. Um, he does have a 70 overall run defense grade. Uh, 67 pass rush, which accounts for 13 pressures on 208 attempts. Again, simple math, that's not great. And he has zero sacks on the season so far, having played all eight weeks so far this season. So overall, he grades out fine. If you want to know about his consistency, is it, you know, consistent 70s or kind of highs and lows? It's more highs and lows. Um, he does have 190, 180, 170, 260s, 250s, and a 40, right? So it's it's pretty volatile. After Puna Ford, in terms of, well, probably talent and snap count, uh, 6'4", 330-pound, 34-year-old Al Woods. He's been, he, this guy has played for... A lot of teams, Tampa Bay in 2010, Seattle in 2011, Pittsburgh 2012-2013, Tennessee from 2014 to 2016, Indy 2017-2018, and then back to Seattle in 2019. Uh, did not play in 2020 and is playing again for Seattle in 2021. Um, does have a 75 overall grade again, almost exactly the same as Puna Ford, 73 run defense, 69 overall pass rush grade. Um Eight pressures on 160 attempts. That's very easy math. That's 5%. That's trash. But for a 330-pound guy, that's, I don't want to say standard, but that's pretty standard. And he has one sack on the season. So between the two top defensive tackles, we're talking, what, 7% pressure rate and uh, one sack between the two of them. And again, 70s, 73-ish run defense grade for the two of them. Um, They're fine. They do a decent job of that, but they're not... They're not 80s and 90s. After that, you got Kerry Hyder, the smaller uh, 6'2", 270 pounds. Still, again, 30 years old. I've mentioned before, this is an old defense, and that's exactly what they are. They also 
He's an old guy that's played for a bunch of other teams. Again, Schneider at this point is just grabbing a bunch of old castaways. Um, He played last year for San Francisco, the year before that with Dallas, the year before that Detroit, and that was three years in Detroit. As a smaller guy, you expect him, again, 6'2", 270 to be sort of a pass rush type of guy, and I guess he is when you look at the statistics being slightly better than everybody else, but not much. 16 pressures on 199 attempts. That's about as close to 10% as anybody's been, but it's still pretty garbage. And he does have one sack on the season. So between the three now, we're still at, I don't even know. I kind of want to add it up just because it's hilariously bad. Well under 10% and two sacks among the top three defensive tackles. The guys off the edge, not much better. Rasheem Green is actually their top edge rusher in terms of snap counts. 6'4", 279. Uh, he's a young buck, uh, third-round pick in 2018. Unfortunately, his grades over the four years for Seattle, classic Seattle Seahawks draft pick. It's even, see, it's bad when they pick up 30-year-old castaways that are a little subpar. Um, It's even worse when you draft guys and they're all just trash. But um, his four years, his grades have been 45, 56, 53, 55. Um, Just pretty bad at football. Again, he's an edge rusher, so the most important thing is pass rush. Um, 17 pressures on 234 attempts. That's nowhere near good enough, and he has three sacks on the season. Um, Two of them came against New Orleans. One of them was week one. So um, since week two, he's had one game that involved a sack. There's a lot of different ways you can say that to make it sound real bad, because it is. It's really bad. It's also bad that in that one game against New Orleans, he had five pressures, which accounts for about one-third of his pressures on the season. So Rasheem Green is kind of useless, and he's their top, I'm not going to say top in terms of talent, but he's the most utilized edge rusher on this entire team. After after that, you got the slightly more well-known pass rusher in Carlos Dunlap. Um, Carlos Dunlap has obviously been around. He is 32 years old, as is common for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, He has played for a bunch of other teams, which is common for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Cincinnati, he played for Cincinnati from 2010 to 2020. In 2020, he got shipped over to Seattle and um, didn't make that big of an impact. So far this year, 73 overall grade, which is fine, I guess. Um, He does have 20 pressures on 190 pass rush attempts, so just over 10%. Kudos to being the one guy that can actually get to that level. Unfortunately, only two sacks on the season, so, um, you know, it is what it is. Primarily, though, run defense, which is kind of common for most of these guys, um, even the other edge rusher that we discussed. Although not good at it, that is his better attribute. So the entire defensive line, talking edge and defensive tackles, have not produced as edge rushers at all, or as pass rushers at all. In terms of run defense, they're not the worst. Everybody's pretty much at least halfway competent. Um, they've got a handful of other rotational edge rushers. Benson Mayoa is the next one. Um, pretty much average across the board, including run defense, seven pressures on 74 attempts, one sack. That's pretty standard. Um, not good. Yes, he's 30 years old. Yes, he's a castaway from other teams. Played for Seattle, the Raiders, Dallas, Arizona, the Raiders again, and back to Seattle again. Um, so he's been all over the place. And again, this is just, this is just the pattern. Daryl Taylor, on the other hand, somewhat promising, at least as a pass rusher, 
second round pick in 2020. So this is, uh, well, kind of year two, but it's his first year actually playing. He's played a handful of snaps. The, the only reason it's really promising, 18 pressures on 131 attempts. I mean, that's that's as good as this team's going to get. Unfortunately, he is abysmal as a run defender. He has a 42 run defense grade and a 30 overall tackling grade. And unfortunately, his 75 overall pass rush grade is only a result of his 90 grade in week one and his 90 grade in week three. Otherwise, it was a 50, 57, 66, 63, and 60. So um, basically, he's a terrible football player who had two pretty good games. And then Alton Robinson doesn't play very much, um, but eight pressures on 70 attempts, you know, he also is around 10%. At linebacker, it's all about Bobby Wagner. Uh, Nothing but respect for Bobby Wagner. Um, I I will say immediately following that, he's having a bit of a down year, but that's a down year for Bobby Wagner, who's one of the best to ever do it. Um, He is, as per usual, 31 years old, one of the few players that's actually been drafted by Seattle, but that was back in the time when Seattle actually had a good draft. There was like two years of good drafts for Seattle. And he's still just hanging around. Um, eventually, when guys get real good, you can't afford to pay everybody. People have slowly, slowly, slowly left. And Bobby Wagner is maybe the last one left at this point. Um, and they may have done a good job of picking which one to keep around because I can't think of too many other guys from that Legion of Boom squad that are still going strong like Bobby is. But I've, I've talked a lot about how rare it is to find linebackers that can do it in every facet of the game. And that's where I've talked about Devondre Campbell and how rare he is in the fact of what he's doing this year, where he's not just really good. It's just the fact that he's good in every facet of the game, from run defense to tackling to coverage. And um, when I went back in time to try to find guys that were doing what Devondre Campbell has been doing, it really came down to Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner. That, those are the only two that were really doing it at that level. Now, um, looking at peak Bobby Wagner, it was really from 2016, 2017, 2018 was his biggest run. Bit of a down year in 2019, but he kind of bounced back in 2020, kind of back down again. So it's, it's uh, I've used the illustration before of kind of a flickering light. At one point, the light is more on than off, and once in a while, it just kind of flickers down. And even the high is kind of low, right? His, when it flickered back on, it was an 85. His peak years, we're talking like 91. So now it seems like it's a little bit more dim than than bright. But, you know, it, it's still a freaking Bobby Wagner-powered light bulb. The other issue, though, is um, he's got some down, some bad games, which if you go back to his peak years, I'm not saying he was good every week, but you didn't see, like, just straight-up garbage games. You know, it was elite real good, couple average and a couple maybe th- a few 50s thrown in. Um he not only so far this season has two average games. He's got a 50 in week 5. He has a 37 overall grade though against San Francisco. That's the kind of stuff that usually just doesn't happen for a guy like Bobby Wagner. On top of that, his highest grade so far this season is an 82, which isn't I mean it's good. It's not uh you know, just dominated the entire game type good. So again, I stand by the fact that Bobby Wagner is a great football player at 31 years old. He's still solid. He can still get it done. But um, I do think at this stage of the game, there are a couple other linebackers you're probably looking at with more fear than you are Bobby Wagner. After that, they've got uh, linebacker extraordinaire Jordan Brooks, which is another just head-scratcher of a draft pick, first-round selection. Um, The Seahawks there's a lot of reputations, but one of the things that they do pretty consistently that I find 
hilarious and also annoying because it just it's just annoying because I don't know why you keep doing it. They draft, they overdraft people, especially in the first round. Now the commentators will always try to, you know, talk about how it was it was a really good pick and all this nonsense. But they they they'll take guys like Jordan Brooks that were third-ish, fourth-ish round guys. And I remember when I went through and looked at the linebackers, I thought Jordan Brooks was like one of my least favorite linebackers in the entire class. Now, I trust, you know, Schneider, who is not a good GM, more so than I trust myself. But um, I just flat out said this guy's useless. And they took him in the first round, and my jaw hit the floor. Uh, As a rookie in 2020, he had a 50 overall grade. So far this year, 51 overall grade. He has a 58.9 run defense grade and a 45 coverage grade. The only thing he's doing semi-decent is tackling and pass rush. He's not a good football player. Um, In his somewhat limited usage, 34 receptions on 38 targets, which is an insanely high. We're talking 90% reception rate against Jordan Brooks. 90% of the time when he's targeted, the pass is caught, and that doesn't take into account bad errant passes and drops. He's given up 360 yards worth, two touchdowns, and does have one pass breakup, 123.5 pass rating with targeted. So he ain't good. And he's the guy standing next to Bobby Wagner. And that is the the one-two punch. It's not like one and then these two guys, or we kind of rotate out these guys. That's pretty much it. The next, uh, I, I, that might be it entirely. I don't know if an, another linebacker has stepped foot on the field all year. So that's pretty crazy. Um, at cornerback, CB1 is Mr. DJ Reed. DJ Reed is only 25, but he's also a castaway. He was a San Francisco 49er, and um, they decided he wasn't worth their services, and so Seattle picked him up. He has a 64.8 coverage grade overall. Statistically not bad. 238 yards he's given up, which is a pretty low yard yardage in terms of, uh, pretty low number in terms of yardage. I'm sorry, it's 12.30 in the morning. Give me a break here. But he's given up two touchdowns, no interceptions, three pass breakups. He's not um, hes not the kind of guy you look at and go, man, people are just going to feast. My, Eric Stokes might be a decent comparison, and I, I know that's somewhat unfair because he was a fifth-round pick. He doesn't have anywhere near the athleticism. But just in terms of he doesn't grade out well, there's certainly some flaws. You see the touchdowns he's given up. But statistically, he's not doing that bad. He's not giving up a ton of receptions, right? Only 52%, 21 of 40. And 238 yards is pretty low. In fact, single digits in three different games. So, I mean, is he great? No. Is he kind of getting the job done? Yeah. Is it maybe because they're picking on all the other garbage corners? Yeah, entirely possible. (laughs) Um, The guy on the other side is Mr. Sidney Jones, who is uh, the definition of a castaway. Really highly touted player, um, was considered the best corner in a very stacked class, but he was injured, so he fell into the second round. Philadelphia took him, thought maybe they were getting a steal. Um, They were not. He came back in 2018 after his injury, played horribly, played pretty poorly the next year. They're like, forget this. Jacksonville picked him up like, hey, maybe this guy's going to be good. He was not. They dumped him. Seattle picked him up this year. So far, 51 overall grade, 47.1 coverage grade. Despite only playing five games this year, he's already given up 329 yards. In fact, in his first two games, he gave up 270 yards. He gave up 170 to San Francisco and 100 to L.A. Back-to-back 100-yard games. He's given up two touchdowns and four pass breakups, 131.1 passer rating when targeted. And then their slot guy is Hugo Amadi, who is a draft pick by Seattle. He was a fourth-round selection, so you kind of know the guy's not going to be very good. 49.7 coverage grade, 
Um, 26 receptions for 206 yards. He's given up a touchdown and has a pass breakup, 103.9 passer rating when targeted. So it's not a great group of corners. It's not. They're, they're average at best. Uh, nobody is good. Right? Nobody is like, man, that's going to be tough. That just that doesn't really exist. Finally, at safety, everybody obviously knows about Mr. Jamal Adams, a massive acquisition. Um, you could call him a castaway, but that's not really fair. Jamal Adams was a trade. He forced his way out of New York, um, went to Seattle, and it's been a terrible, terrible relationship. Um, I mentioned that I was interested in getting Jamal Adams because it might be safe to say that he was the best safety over the last two years, and I think that was a very safe assessment. For whatever reason, the Seattle Seahawks are a terrible fit, just an absolutely terrible fit. I I can't speak to that. I can't speak to what the Jets were doing right. Um, But it's also somewhat of a cautionary tale. You can even look at Odell Beckham, right? Odell Beckham was in New York with the Giants and um, was like, this team is trash. Get me out of here. He goes to Cleveland and it's just, it doesn't fit. It's just not a good fit. Some some players are transcendent, and it doesn't matter where they go, but it, I don't think that's the normal case. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be this drastic, but very regularly, players are good partially because of what they do, but also partially because of the scheme that they're in highlighting what they do best. It's just a good marriage. Jamal Adams had an 89.8 overall grade, 90, 78 run defense, 79 tackling, 90 pass rush, 90 coverage. That's what he did in 2018. 2019, 88 overall grade, 78 run defense, 90 tackling, 90 pass rush, and 88 coverage. His first year in Seattle, 62 overall grade, 61 run defense, 56 tackling, which doesn't make any sense. How do you suddenly not know how to tackle? 86 pass rush, which is... Still incredibly high, great pass rusher, but also still his lowest in in the last three years. And then his coverage went from elite down to a 52. Terrible. And 2021 has been almost identical. 59 overall grade, which is actually lower. 68 run defense, which is a little higher. 66 tackling, which is a little higher. His pass rush is now down to a 73. Three pressures on 38 attempts, which is below 10%, which is low for a safety and a 54 coverage grade. Again, terrible. So we know Jamal. We know the guy's talented, but he's been awful. He's had two games so far this year where he's graded in the 70s. It was his first and last, Indy and Jacksonville. The highest of those was a 75. In between, 64, 63, 49, 36 against LA, 62 and 52. A great game for Jamal Adams these days is a 75 overall grade. By the way, his coverage grade in that very, very good game against Jacksonville was a 67. He's given up 109 yards, one touchdown, does not have any interceptions or pass breakups on the season. So, you know, this is the point where we should be scared. This is like the one guy that is like, yeah, but they got Jamal, dude. No, it's it's not like that. Sort of similar with Quandre Diggs. Quandre Diggs wasn't a terrible uh, player for Detroit, but he has gotten quite worse. If you, again, look at the last two years, 72-73 goes to Seattle, 63-67. It's not as drastic, but it's worse. You know, I, I just think the days of, we think about Seattle as just having this tough defense, but there's no reason to. I mean, it's not the same players. It's not the same defensive coordinator. You know, it, it's just, it's a different unit. 
different unit, probably different scheme, different uh, mentality. And so the idea of we're going to plug these guys in, they're going to be so much better because it's just this elite defense. It's just the, those days are dead. This is where defensive players go to die. And so, you know, so far this year, again, 67, run defense 67, tackling 68, pass rush 56, coverage 66. He doesn't do anything very well. And so, uh, again, the, the statistically, they're doing fine in terms of points. They're one of the worst teams in terms of yards given up. But if we just look at it, they don't have any pass rushers. They have none. Um, aside from, you know, blitzing maybe a safety or a linebacker or something, they don't have anybody. The edge rushers, the defensive tackles, they're decent in terms of their ability to stop the run. They're really bad at rushing the passer. The uh, linebackers, assuming we're just talking about Bobby Wagner, solid. As a unit, eh. The corners, barely competent would be a fair assessment. And the safeties, similar. They're fine. They're not like a liability. And I don't know that there's too many people on this team that you could call a liability. I think the edge rushers are really pathetic when you factor in their 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 primary job by a by a mile is rushing the passer, and that's the one thing they can't do. I think that would be their biggest liability, unless you want to talk about the linebackers outside of Wagner. You could probably make a case for the corners too, but I, <laughs> that's where I'm staking my claim here. It's just not a unit that you need to be scared of in any, in any real way. We've run the ball against better run defense units. We've protected Aaron Rodgers against much better pass rushers. We've been able to throw to wide receivers against better corners and safeties. So, you know, if Aaron Rodgers plays, there's real, I mean, you know, again, there's always any given Sunday. But if the Packers that we know and love, that we've seen all year, that, that got to 7-1, and one, not including the Jordan Love thing, because we would have absolutely stomped the Chiefs if Aaron Rodgers played. There's no doubt in my mind that would have been a blowout. If that team plays at home that way. I just don't think the Seattle Seahawks are up to snuff. I know Russ is is dangerous. I know they got the wide receivers. I get it. I know that there's a chance, but uh, that, that would also imply that the defense just kind of falls apart, and I don't really see that happening either. But anyways, uh, I have got to get going to bed, creeping up on 1240. So uh, you folks have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.